to Unscripted. I'm your host, Lindsay Amory. This week on the podcast, I got to meet Dr. Jacinda Abdul Muta Kabir, who is an absolute joy. She is the lead author on a study published in Lancet in 2021 titled A Three Tiered Approach to Address Barriers to COVID 19 Vaccine Delivery in the Black Community. Her work in COVID 19 vaccine equity was awarded by the Inland Empire Concerned African American Churches Dorothy Ingram Trailblazer Award. Health equity is just one of many hats she wears as an assistant professor at Loma Linda University. You'll hear about all of those hats, including her research in pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics of antimicrobials, and how she plans to use that research to drive equity. She also has a favorite bacteria that you'll hear about, which I just love talking to my infectious disease colleagues because of their love for all the bugs. You'll feel excited about ID and empowered to do more in your communities after listening to Jacinda. Please enjoy Dr. Jacinda Abdul Muta Kabir. Well, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, thanks for thanks for joining. I'm excited to virtually get to meet you. I feel like I've of kind course. of uh, watched from afar um, oh. <laughs> things that you've been doing, which has been awesome to see. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you you keep popping up on my feed from from different people, and um, I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is someone I've got to meet. She's doing great things. Oh, thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a day at a time. <laughs> I feel like uh, 2022, like where did 2020 go? Where did 2021 go? But the days still feel really long. So they it's like, do. almost like we're in residency all over again. The days feel long. The minutes feel longer. Uh, <laughs> it's like, get me out of here, please. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's a brand new year. You're like, how did that happen? It it just feels like I've been stuck in like the same year mm-hmm. for you know for the same year. I I saw something. It was like day 684. It was like March <laughs> March 684 day of, of 2020. Yes. Of 2020. That's how I feel. <laughs> but honestly, I just feel like I have no concept of time anymore. I'm just like I don't know what day it is. What month it is? What year it is? I hear you. I'm still They're, here, so right. I'm still I'm still doing the same things. It's great. <laughs> Just trying to get through another week for sure. Right. <laughs> well, there's so much that I feel like we could we could talk about. You know, I'm definitely interested in um, the work that you've done around um, the all the equity with COVID nineteen vaccines. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Maybe we could start there. Um, you know, I think some of my, I guess, just questions for you were kind of, you know, is is that health equity something that you got interested in as just a part of life experience? Mm-hmm. Or was there a certain trigger or a certain point that you said, okay, like this is really something that I need to dig into? Right. So um, I think that's that's a really great question and honestly, one that I, you know, ask myself often. <laughs> but I think that um, so I, I completed my MPH degree while I was in my infectious diseases, uh, pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics 
research fellowship in Detroit um, with Dr. with Mike Ryback. And um, I grew up in Detroit, so I'm from Detroit. So uh, when I went there, when I did the MPH, it allowed for me to kind of look at pharmacy and think about just like my my positioning as a pharmacist and how I can influence um, disparities, how I can promote equity, how I can ensure that um, people do have the same access to um, health care, to education, to financial uh, resources, that um, that everyone has that same access, excuse me. But I think that uh, growing up in Detroit and then doing a master's in public health in Detroit kind of brought to um, the forefront my lived experience. I don't yeah. think that I realized my lived experience until I completed a master's in public health, because I think at that point I was forced to, I was forced into that place of realizing Okay, so everybody doesn't live like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People do know how to do financial planning. Not everyone's parents are kind of uh, trying to play catch up um, for, the, for their entire lives in terms of you know savings and times in terms of retirement. Um, I didn't know people retired. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how retirement worked. I yeah. watched you know my grandparents. I watched my parents work. Um, I think my husband and I have this conversation all the time. It was like you know I didn't even realize I was I didn't realize I was poor. You know, um, that we didn't really have any assets. I didn't realize that I didn't realize the sacrifices my parents made in order for us to have access to health care. But then the access that we had was minuscule when compared to um, my white counterparts, my white classmates. I didn't realize the the impact that access had um, in terms of when you even think about the availability of or the the placement of primary care offices. I didn't even think about the fact that we didn't have very many um, in my neighborhood until I tried to think, I was like, who did I even go to? <laughs> you know, how were we able yeah. to get there? And God, you know, I didn't think about having one car, how that would influence um, our access to, to different things that we needed to do, say that we wanted to go and seek healthcare services. Well, my dad has to go to work. He has to work overnight. So, you know, we have to wait it out. We have to see, you know, how, how things pan out. So I think that doing the MPH uh, forced me into that place of realization. In terms of COVID-19, it was more so, or the work that I'm doing now, um, it was a combination of both. It was a combination of, a combination of okay, I have to do this because it's right. And yeah. then um, I want to do this because of my own lived experience and I want to make the world better. Or if I have the tools to somehow impact the lives of people that look like me or my racially and ethnically minoritized people to ensure that they're able to survive the pandemic and that we don't continue to see them in the hospital beds of the ICU, then I'm going to do whatever I can to uh, make this a reality. You mentioned so many great, great pieces in there. The, the, one part, I think for me, you know, I, I come from a rural um, environment. And so certainly from a primary care side, you know, I can relate somewhat, but at the same time, we had primary care offices. But the retirement, I think definitely that I would say was was different than mine. I mean, there's I grew up and for the most part, everybody talked about retiring. Mm-hmm. And almost like to some detriment a little bit of, <laughs> you know, what you got to plan for retirement, you got to set savings aside and, and, but there was always retirement parties of individuals and, and retirement was such a huge focus that I think, 
you know, when I got, you know, into my jobs and things, it was like, we got to put the max amount away in retirement. Like that's just what you do. (laughs) But hearing you say that, you know, I, I've, I, I know of people that I've grown up with that didn't retire. Mm -hmm. And, and then I think there was a lot of discussion about that of how did that happen? Or was there, you know, was it their, their job just did not relate to that? Um, or, you know, what, what are those pieces they put in place? So that is, I think, something that at least as you were talking through it, that I would say our, our experiences are, are, were probably a little different. And um, is that something that, you know, in terms of the access and all that, that's certainly something that, you know, you probably saw, hey, I can jump in and, and do that. But on some of those other pieces, is that something that you have also wanted to help empower in minority communities? Absolutely. I think that, you know, my overall goal, um, I always tell my mom that I did everything that I foresaw myself doing in my life. So all this other stuff is extra. But (laughs) but uh, one thing that I try to live by is just making the world better for racially and ethnically minoritized individuals than it would be had I not been here. So um, I think that if that looks like me advocating for more access to financial equity, then that looks like that. If that looks like me advocating, I mean, I'm infectious diseases trained. So right now it looks like me advocating for equity in um, infectious diseases space spaces. Right now it's with the pandemic. And then I'm also looking into how um, being vaccinated or creating vaccine equity can decrease the um, antimicrobial resistance that we see. It is antimicrobial resistance in communities of color, likely so, but we don't have data that points to that. So trying to generate that in any way that I can serve uh, my community and make, uh, like I said, make life, make living better for those that come behind me, for um, pharmacists and other clinicians of color that come behind me. um, that's, That's what I aim to do. So in, in any way that I can amplify those efforts, I try to do that. Well, you know, there have even been some recent public health, in addition to the vaccines, initiatives that have come out that I don't feel like are very equitable, mm-hmm. like the COVID at home tests. Like when it first came out and said, you know, every household gets four, you know, it was just a lot of questions after that of well, what if there's more than four members in your family? Right. What if your grandparents live with you? What if you don't have a home address? You just don't get them. So I'm interested on what what were your thoughts when you first saw that COVID test roll out? I think that my thoughts were that um, it really just spoke to the necessity of having the appropriate stakeholders at the tables when these conversations are had. And this is one thing that I that I advocated for also on Twitter, which is the best place for advocacy. Right? <laughs> but but um, I remember when it when uh, it rolled out who it was that was on the COVID-19 like equity task force. And I remember like not seeing pharmacists, only seeing MDs and not not any not any DOs and um, but seeing, you know, individuals of color. So it was like, OK, so we did, you know, we did that piece of equity, but we didn't, you know, we, as far as having like the most appropriate stakeholders for everything it is that we're trying to do, maybe that, maybe that piece wasn't met, but we checked off, you know, the, the, the people of color piece. So I think that, um, and then in the, in the, in the forefront of my mind, I've had that idea of, okay, I think that there needs to be a conversation had about the appropriateness of stakeholders and like the, 
the necessity of having the right people at the table, not just the people that look like the communities that you want to serve, but the right people right. that look like the communities yeah. that you want to serve. And um, I think that comes into play because at the end of the day, uh, it was probably thought that this was equitable. They probably mm-hmm. felt, okay, this is you know equitable. We are sending these free at-home tests. We are doing exactly what needs to be done. But when you don't have the appropriate stakeholders, you don't have people that say, oh no, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> you know, greater than 50% yeah. of you know, black, Latino, Native American, Asian individuals, they, they're multi-generational. They have more than four people in their household. You don't have you don't have someone that's sitting right. there pulling up those statistics, those appropriate epidemiologists, those uh, appropriate um public health public health authorities that are able to pull up that data and to and to have that conversation of maybe we should not, you know, do that. Or maybe not only do we send the test, but we also provide education on what do you do if you test positive with these at-home tests? You know, because that's yeah. the question that I get is, OK, I got the test. Well, only got four tests. The test, um, I can't really read. You know, the, the line is faint. Do I have COVID? Do I don't? Do I not have COVID? Should I retest? Well, God forbid that you have to retest <laughs> to confirm because you've only got four. four. <laughs> and it's like, you know, how do I get Do I go, you know, get a PCR for this? So I think when we think about equity and we think about these home tests, and we think about the different measures, I think we have to think about the continuity piece and then not stopping midway, not doing the easiest thing. Because it's easy to say, okay, everybody gets bored. But it's harder to say, okay, let's put trustworthy messengers in place. You know, let's find a way to, to provide accurate and adequate messaging from representative individuals of these communities that we want to make sure that we're targeting with these tests. And then let's also make sure that we provide adequate information on what it is that they're supposed to do you know, should they test positive with these tests? How it is that they go forth with PCR testing and things of that sort? Okay, so now we've done these tests. Let's, let's, let's now start thinking, did we provide adequate access, adequate allocation for the vaccines in these communities that are being impacted by COVID-19, by these, by these surges? Because it never stopped being an issue. Access never stopped being an issue. You saw more people developing these 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 innovative um, approaches to go into the community. However, these are so many, you know, so many people, so many people that you can serve with these, with these more streamlined efforts, even in Loma Linda, like we, we've, we've done these uh, vaccine equity um, efforts, but we're only able to serve only so many people at each clinic. So Mm -hmm. overall we vaccinated, you know, 2,500 individuals, over 2,500 individuals, which is important. It's great. I'm happy that we've been able to do that, but it's way more, than that that needs to be vaccinated, but um, way more than that that doesn't have access to the vaccines unless we bring them to them. Right. But uh, we're not, we just, we can only serve what we can serve. We only have the bandwidth to do so much outside of our, outside of our normal health system duties. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that becomes the biggest, com- the biggest piece of, the biggest conversation piece. So I think it's important, yes, of course, the, the allocation of the test, while, while I appreciate the effort it was very, it was, it very much showed the fact that maybe we don't have the most appropriate people, or maybe we don't have all the pieces of the stakeholder table present when these decisions are made. Maybe we aren't, you know, thinking about equity from a full view. But then it also showed that other aspects that could, um, that could increase or uh, really make really drive home the reasoning for having these tests, really drive home the equity that they were trying to provide with sending these tests out to homes 
Um, I think that the different aspects of equity and those different views of equity were definitely missing from um, this most recent effort, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I feel like they're they're trying, like even with the telephone line, you know, it was mm-hmm. only first online. And I remember thinking, well, that's great if you have internet access. And exactly. I think if anything that the pandemic has showed us is not everybody has internet access, especially when all you know kids had to go virtual. And mm-hmm. you know, there's tons of stories out there of you know then kids just trying to find a public space and maybe using somebody's Wi-Fi just to you know get onto their Zoom class. <laughs> it's like, well, not everyone has access to online and or you know. Th- so at least I feel like the telephone line was helpful in a lot of ways, but. I do think it 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 fell short. Right. Even the theirs, honestly, the reporting system for the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, when you think about people having to to scan the QR code, I mean, thank God I was able I was able to go and assist, you know, the older um mm-hmm. individuals that came to the clinic uh with scanning the QR code. But I mean, when you think about equity, that's not necessarily equitable for everyone because not everybody knows how to scan that. Not everybody has a cell phone to scan the right. QR code. I had so many people that came that had the, the flip phones. They couldn't scan, you know, a QR code. They couldn't use the internet to go or they couldn't afford to have internet on their cell phones. Um, they didn't have unlimited, you know, internet on their cell phones. So maybe they had maxed out their access for their their internet access for something else. When they came, they were not able to report. They weren't able to track their progress. And um, even for those that were Spanish speaking, it was not easily accessible. The Spanish um, translations for the bears. So I think that there have been missteps um, in terms of equity, as with most things definitely throughout the vaccination process. Yeah, I'd agree. So you mentioned that you, you know, you are interested in like the PK and the PD side and you did your, your fellowship in that, but how did you kind of go from like, how, what does your day to day look like? Like I'm, I'm envisioning you doing these PK modeling, but you're also doing these mobile vaccine clinics. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around like, well, what does your day look like? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's the beauty of academia is work days <laughs> different from day to day. But um, <laughs> but it is um so awarded experience nonetheless. So yeah. I have a, a few jobs. So I um I of course, you know, I teach. So I teach in ID and then I teach renal and respiratory diseases, the respiratory aspect. Um, but of course, coordinate the course at Loma Linda. And um, then I do the vaccine clinics. And then, of course, I have a lab and then I'm a critical care uh, pharmacist. So I have uh, my duties there to the hospital. And then I also um, am a research mentor for the Infectious Diseases Fellowship. So I have fellows that I mentor as they are uh, wrapping up their um, their research, their research year, the fellowship program. So um, the day to day is uh, <laughs> is an interesting dynamic. Uh, for right now, though, I'm kind of outside of the lab, more so writing okay. grants to get everything um, up and running. But um, I'll be heading into the lab in March, so that's exciting. I recently finished teaching, so I teach for like a three-month stint. Okay. Um, and I exclusively I exclusively kind of drop all duties to focus in on my teaching, really because the students that I had in the classroom this year, this was, um, for some of them, the first time 
on, on campus or during pharmacy oh, schools okay. is their first time um, actually doing um, doing the program like in person. So I wanted to make sure that I was there and able to support them and um, to ease them into the transition. So I dropped every, the extra things that I was doing to really focus in there. Um, I, of course, do uh, research as well. So I'm on any given day, likely every day I'm writing or editing a manuscript. So <laughs> that yeah. definitely is always a part of my everyday. But right now, so uh, right now is really just a big writing time for me. So okay. with grant writing, with uh, manuscript writing, but we also have begun our booster clinic effort. So now um, two, Saturday, two Sundays, excuse me, out of the month, I will be vaccinating with my students. And then, um, so by my students, I mean, we have medicine students, pharmacy students, uh, public health students, uh, psychology students. They all come to the clinic and assist in various different ways with you know, the mobile vaccine or the community, excuse me, vaccination clinic effort. I know when I say mobile vaccinations, people think that we have a truck, but we don't. We actually set up and we mobilize our services and drive them to the site. Well, that that is a lot of hats. My, my hat off to you for all the hats that you've got going on that I feel like the some of the research that you're probably looking to do in the lab is really what you would probably call like true bench to bedside. Mm-hmm. Would that be accurate? Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I do. I do um, translational research. So um, I focus a lot in gram negatives. So my my uh, bacteria of choice is Acinetobacter. Love it. Um, I've done a lot of work with it um, in my fellowship training and then post uh, fellowship. So I've done a lot of writing. So review articles on um, Cefidrocol, which is a novel Cefidrocor with um, great activity against Acinetobacter. Cefidrocor cephalosporin with really good activity against Acinetobacter. So um, I'm working with SPR206, which is a polymixin derivative also with good activity against acinetobacter. So um, yeah, that's my love. I love doing translation research. I love working with novel therapeutics against gram-negative bacteria. I love trying to figure out um, different susceptibilities and um, different combination therapies. So I, uh, I really focus in antibiotic synergy, trying to see which combos can best overcome multidrug resistance. Um, Right now, I'm, I'm kind of pivoting or I guess tying all of my research together to where um, I'm hoping to look at uh, differences in racial groups in, in terms of antibiotic susceptibility. Are there differences based upon um, or are there differences that are observed in racial and ethnic minoritized groups? Do we see any differences there and um, how vaccine equity can essentially um, aid us in preventing uh, multi resistance amongst uh, minoritized groups when we think about vaccine preventable um, respiratory diseases, they're least likely to be vaccinated. So if they're least likely to be vaccinated, they are clearly more likely, although we don't have um, substantial data to support this, but the hypothesis be that they would be more likely to develop co or secondary infections mm-hmm. um, from these vaccine preventable respiratory diseases. And um, with that, antibiotic resistance is a, um, it would be an evident issue. I love talking with my ID colleagues because <laughs> when you have a favorite bacteria, I just I, I love that you all have a favorite bacteria. It's great. You have to develop a friendship, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's a kinship between the two of you, especially if you're going to study it all the time. I can't say that I have a favorite bacteria. I think that's when you know that you're really into ID. 
I know I actually have a tattoo of a Sidirapur. So Sidirapurs are iron, yeah, iron lady um moities that um that actually they chelate they chelate to iron and bring the iron back to bacteria so they can survive. So it's a survival mechanism that bacteria have. Um, and I think that is so amazing. It's like a silent assassin that they have. And the fact that we have um antibiotics that can really um that we can model after that protective mechanism and use that as um, a power of, or a means of getting past the the resistance mechanisms that bacteria can um, innately um, and acquire anyway for in terms of resistance. So the fact that we can use what they use to survive to overcome them, I think is spectacular. <laughs> and um, I had to, I had to document that on my arm. So now I, it'll live with me and people will wonder like, is she allergic to whatever this is when I'm old? But <laughs> You're like, no, I just, I just have a kinship to it. Right. Really We're family. Right. <laughs> I think the, between, you know, ID pharmacists having a love for and a favorite bacteria. And then I feel like cardiology pharmacists have like a favorite trial. Oh, I'm sure. You know, like it's like <laughs> data and there's, you know, there's love to talk through how many thousands of patients were in a particular trial. And yeah, everybody's got their own like um, uniqueness to them, right? Depending upon right. the specialty <laughs> that you're fully in. Well, that's awesome. Well, there's so many great things uh, that you're doing and um, congratulations on the, the awards that you've received and in particular, the, the most recent award. So I just want to thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. That, um, that, meant, that meant more to me than I think most things do, because um, I think that the biggest thing for me is um, to be able to gain the trust of um individuals that look like me, I know that it's hard for racially and ethically minoritized individuals to trust um, members of the healthcare system and that being due to systemic racism and different unjust practices and different things that they've experienced at the hands of the United States healthcare system. I understand that. I mean, um, like I said, lived experience, I've lived that. Mm -hmm. My parents have lived that. My grandparents have lived that. With that, I just I um, advocate and I and I want to call all of you know my colleagues to action to really work hard to become individuals and to show that we are individuals that um, that the community can trust. Work hard to build those relationships, uh, keep equity at the forefront of our minds to know that everyone deserves the same access and for that access to be made and delivered, that access to be made and things to be delivered in a way in which it's easily reachable. That if if I end with anything, as I always say, continue to make equity a verb. Thank you for listening to the Unscripted Podcast. If you love it, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts.